You know, that really is what God wants us to be. And I appreciate you coming this morning to worship with us. And God wants to have a community, not just a place to come where you have an audience and some singers and a preacher, but to be much more than that. Uh, this is just uh, the bloom on the, on the flower, uh, uh, the, the, the actual organism, which is the church, is a community. It's a group of people who are doing life together, connecting to one another, not just on Sunday mornings for an hour, but hopefully uh, doing life together in all of its different uh, facets. And so we wanna encourage you through this, this series called Reach In, uh, to reach in. Uh, to connect to Christ. Ultimately, you if you don't have a relationship or you don't know Jesus, we wanna help uh, introduce you to him so that you can know uh, the Savior who loves you so much and wants you to have a relationship with him and with the Father who created you. And then we also want to encourage you uh, to maybe take a step towards uh, a deeper relationship with some other believers and uh, God designed us that way. And there's a passage of scripture that talks about the context of the church. And it's in John chapter 15. As we begin this series called Reach In, we're faced with a pretty amazing command. It is a, it is a direct command from the Lord Jesus to do something that we, we think should be easy. It should come natural to us. But I have a feeling since Jesus has to command it four times in these few verses, maybe this kind of uh, church is not easy to have. Maybe this kind of uh, relationship is not uh, natural to us, but it is something that he commands to us and it takes us to another level of authentic community. And, and people want that. People desire that and, and they, they look for it in all different kinds of ways. And you see people that connect to communities that you just, it boggles your mind. You're like, why would they join that group? What attracts them to that uh, uh, cult? Or what attracts them to that group of folks that are violent and all of those kinds of things? Well, listen, at the base of it all, people are looking for identity. They're looking for community. They wanna feel a sense of connection somewhere. And Jesus comes and says, please connect to me. I'm life. I am the way to life. And so we wanna introduce people to Jesus and help develop that kind of community. In John 15, he says, this is my commandment that you, and he's talking to his group of disciples that he has at this point, but that message translates to us as well. If we are a follower of Christ, hear this from the Lord, your master, right to you. We can't shove this off on anybody else. This is Jesus talking to me, and he's talking to you if you're one of his, and he says, I command you, love one another. Love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no more than this than someone lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus, you know what he did? He laid down his life for his friends. And he says, and I call you friends, and the way that you're gonna know I'm your friend, look at this next verse. If you do, look at verse 14, sorry. If you do what I do, I have commanded you. They're gonna recognize you because you're gonna have the same kind of love that you have seen demonstrated by me. You're gonna follow my commands. No longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing. I call you friends. You see that Jesus even says, I am drawing you in to a community. You're, you're going from servants to friends. I want you to come close. 
And I want you to know uh, that I have heard from the Father, and what I am saying, I have made known to you what the Father wants you to know. So Jesus is speaking right to us, and he's saying, the Father, your Creator, wants you to know something. He loves you, and he wants you to love others. You did not choose me, verse 16 says. Now, this is a real relational thing. Jesus says, I choose to love you. I chose you. And I have appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask, in the, ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will, let's say it together, love one another. So we've heard this passage. I've preached on this passage. There's a reason you keep hearing it over and over again. It is a foundational, fundamental bedrock principle of the community Jesus died to create called the church. And the church in all of its different forms around the world, it is the body of Christ. And he saved us and he delivers. And he tells us whether we're a little church uh, in, a, in a home there in Romania or in a hut in some, some uh, foreign land or, or maybe it's around a fence post with some uh, cowboys out in uh, Idaho, wherever the church of Christ is, the command is the same. You see those people? Maybe you don't like them, but you got to what? You got to love them. And what he, what he does is he draws people from every tribe. And the re reason he tells this it is easy to love someone who is a family member and who is a Gator fan like you. Don't be so impressed you love them, right? It's easy to love beautiful people, people that treat you kindly, people that give you stuff, people that always say, agree with you on your politics. It's easy to love them. Don't be so impressed. But here's what God does. He says, I'm going to call people from every tribe, tongue, nation. I'm going to call Republicans and Democrats, yes. And uh, I'm going to call Gators and Oles. I'm going to call uh, people of all different kind of skin colors and all different kind of issues and problems. I'm going to call them all together in a fellowship. And I am going to flip their hearts around. I'm going to give them a new heart. And then the world is going to know that I'm in their midst because of their love. Their love for one another. And people are going to know those people shouldn't hang out. Why are they hanging out? Well, it's obviously not that they agree. It's not obvious on all the politics. It's obviously not because they have the same kind of background or they all make the same level of money or they all have the same academic achievements. Why is it that they're connected? Why, do they, why are they loving each other? Jesus said they will know we are Christians by our love. And that will draw them in. Did anybody grab, I don't know if they were handing out Krispy Kreme donuts on the way in. Did any, were they handing them out this morning? Did some of you get a Krispy Kreme donut? How many of you just took it because you felt like you had to? You just, you, like, I, I don't really want it. So a few of you just felt guilty. I'm sorry, you had to eat that out of guilt. How many of you, like we had D-Now weekend, this weekend was awesome was awesome. We had peg boards out there that were 12 feet, or all in boards. They'd put pegs, and on each peg, about five donuts. So there were like 500 donuts on each board. And it drew me in. Just drew me in. But even that did not draw me in like the hot sign on a Krispy Kreme store, right? I mean, I have pulled off, I have just stopped 
and pulled off. When you see that hot sign, it is just like, and by the way, if you've never, if maybe you're new to the United States, find someone and have them take you there, okay? You need to visit, before Kentucky Fried Chicken, go to Krispy Kreme when the hot sign is on, bless them, and then you'll understand why Americans are so big. You'll understand. Or we outweigh the rest of the world combined. But uh, Krispy Kreme donuts, the hot sign just draws you in. Listen, the hot sign for the church is love. You know? Now we're giving them a big stumbling block in Jesus. Now Jesus is great and Jesus, but here people are drawn to Jesus, but then they find this out. I've got to repent of my sins. I've got to take up my cross. I've got to follow Christ. I've got to turn my life over to him. And they hear that and they're like, whoa, why should I do that? Well, then we talk to them about the fact that their wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And then there's still, but then there's this sign. They say, but look at what these followers are like. And it draws them in. That was Jesus's vision for the church. How many of you have been in churches where it won't like that? And I think Jesus stands out there and says, don't come in here. This is not me. You don't wanna see this. I'm working with them. I'm working with them. Listen, churches aren't perfect, but churches uh, ought to be growing in their love for one another. And I wanna give you a few reasons why that you can see clearly in this passage. The first reason is, is that Jesus commanded it. He commanded us to become a community of people who love one another. Can I tell you that loving one another does not consist of a handshake or a fist bump, right? The love in another part is not fulfilled once a week and reading during the greeting time. Man, I'm glad that loving is over, I can get to the message the song, that is not what we're talking about. It demands community, it calls us into community. You're gonna hear me just kind of encourage you. I don't wanna, I don't wanna lay a big guilt trip on you, but I hope you'll just see in the scriptures to really find the kind of loving community that Christ commands and wants so desperately for you to have for your sake and for the glory of God, you're gonna have to find a smaller group than this. Now, this is a great group. You need to come to this group and I encourage you, but I'm just praying for you, I'm praying um, this is one of the hard things with Sarah and I that, and, and many of you that are in service while you're here on campus. I'm preaching during our life group hours for the most part or having meetings, getting ready to preach. And so, but I still, I find a life group and I fellowship with them. I need friendships and I just can't, I can't have a thousand friendships that are close. I gotta find a smaller group, right? And so experience, the Christian life that Jesus commands and encourages us to, it's gonna drive you uh, towards a smaller experience somewhere in the body of Christ. We call those here at Westside, we call them life groups. And so we wanna encourage you to take a step. Maybe you're not ready, I want you to pray about it. And you know, if we're real honest, real honest, we may know we need a smaller group. We may know we need that extra step Christian fellowship, but we're too busy. We just simply don't have time for it. 
would you pray about saying, God, help me renegotiate my life, reprioritize my things so that I can experience what you've designed for me and I can fulfill the command that you've given me. Now, if you're not a follower of Christ, you don't have this level of command. You, you will naturally love people. And he gives us the ability to love people. You'll love your family and your friends and those that agree with you and all those kind of things. You may even love some people you don't agree with. That's, but this kind of sacrificial, unconditional love with, with unique people that he calls us together, this kind of love is gonna require a community. We call this community churches and they're everywhere uh, in many places, but there are many places that don't have it. And we're moving that way. We want ourselves to be a place that can fulfill this command of Jesus. So I just invite you to really connect to this community of faith and to connect to a, a smaller group if you're not connected to a life group. Keep taking those steps. Number one, because Jesus says, you've got to find some people to love in this unusual way. You're commanded to love one another. Second of all, here's what's interesting. Jesus felt the need personally for a community of love. Said Jesus didn't need that. He had God. You know, he was God himself. He didn't need human fellowship. He just put up with Andrew and Peter and James and John. He was annoyed by them. They were pitiful little human beings. He didn't need them. He pretended to love them. No, listen, he was as fully human as you and me. He was as fully capable of mourning. It says that Jesus wept at the death of Lazarus. He cried. He cried out in agony in the garden of Gethsemane. He said, I need some of my friends to pray for me. I need that. When he went up on the Mount of Transfiguration, he took Peter, James, and John. And when he was, I mean, he just, he needed his friends. He needed them as they rowed that boat, sailed those boats back and forth across the Sea of Galilee. And you just see Jesus resting in the boat. He'd been serving and his friends loved him and cared for him and supported him. He lived a life contingent upon human beings just like you and I are contingent upon them. And he needed that kind of community. It's interesting how it formed in his life. He had thousands of people following. He had hundreds that were pretty, pretty faithful followers. Then he had 72, it says in the gospels, that he said, I want you guys and gals to come together. I want, I'm gonna send you out two by two Y'all are gonna be my 72. But even within the 72, he picked a group of 12. And those 12 weren't just because he, they were his favorites. It wasn't necessarily that. But here's what he knew. He knew that the greatest amount of influence long-term was going to happen in a smaller group. And he knew he couldn't invest personally in 72 people. He had to narrow it down even to 12. And if he could invest in those 12, those 12 could invest in 12 and then them in 12. And pretty soon you've covered planet earth. You got people sitting in Gainesville worshiping Jesus. And he said, I, we need that community. But he, he had those 12, but even within the 12, he had another special group, didn't he? He had three, Peter, James, and John. And 
seemed like on those special intimate occasions like the Mount of Transfiguration, the Garden of Gethsemane, those places when he went in to uh, raise the person from the dead and all of these kind of things, he would invite those three in. But not just to disciple personally those three, but I truly believe that Jesus needed them in his full humanity he wanted the community and he was modeling it for you and me it's funny i don't I, the, the guy engineered me personally I'm a, I'm a little bit introverted but i'm also a people person i i wish i could have a personal relationship and hang out with all two or three thousand however members we have here that'd be so cool for me that's not humanly possible and i wish i could be 70 and really there we got lots of we got lots of folks that i'd love to have 70 80 close friends it's hard to have that as a pastor how many of you have 80 best friends man you're busy or confused (laughs) not a very good best friend i guarantee you that all of us as human beings need community and we need it to get closer and closer and it's in that in that way and you can just hear Jesus looking at Peter James and John before his arrest the night before his arrest you guys you stand over there and I need you to pray for me I'm I'm getting ready to face the greatest challenge in my life and I need you how many of you have three How many of you have three that you can count on? They're not perfect, but you know they love the Lord. And at a moment where you need to be real and just say, listen, I am absolutely out of control. I'm broken and depressed. I'm absolutely at wit's end, and I think I'm going to leave my husband or my wife or I want to kill every one of my children how many of you have those three Jesus says you need it I needed it the enemy is going to do everything possible to disconnect you from the body of Christ he's going to make sure that person you think is your best friend walk down the hall he's gonna just make sure they're extra busy or distracted so they don't see you and smile just at the right time and you're crushed the enemy is gonna make sure that I stumble as a pastor and I say something that's just politically incorrect or doesn't match up with something you think or believe or I may be completely wrong day I've not been wrong yet but I may be one day right that's, I, this is a really humbling thing. I just can't imagine. Over the 20-some years of preaching, how many times I was off. And I pray the Holy Spirit corrects that. And how many people in all of the churches I've been blessed to be a part of have had to forgive me for my moments of weakness. We're commanded to love one another, to create the kind of community that glorifies God and attracts or at least confuses the world 
What is that about? Where am I in my sermon here? He commanded it. He needed it. And thirdly, he gave everything he had to create it. If you know the story of Jesus, it's the story of God the Son. He, he got the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There's one God in three persons. We call it the Trinity. And it's hard for us to comprehend this one God, but God the Son in eternity past made this amazing expression of love and said, I will empty myself out and I will become like my creation and I'll serve God, I'll serve my creation and I will take the sins of the world, those that have rebelled against their creator and rebelled against me, I'm gonna take their sins on my shoulders. I'm gonna drink the cup of wrath they all deserve and Jesus came and he became flesh and he dwelt among us and, and we beheld the one son of God. And he went up on a cross and he died a death. And it wasn't just the physical death that was the worst part is he took the penalty of your sin. He said, why in the world would he do that? To redeem out of every tribe and tongue and nation and every, all over the world, he's rescuing a group of people and he's pulling them together. And he says, I'm going to, give everything I have to give you forgiveness for your sin, to make you right with God, and then I'm gonna give you my spirit to fill you up and empower you to look different, to live different, and become a community of authentic, real relationships that the world will know there is God, that Jesus is who he said he was. I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna give my all for it. And that's the gospel. And he just, he's, he's going throughout the world. He's right now and he's looking at you and he says, be a part of this. I died for you, be a part of it. He says, I don't, what's amazing to me, and we get this part, most people get this part. Jesus died to make you right with God, to forgive us of our sins, make you right with God so you can go to heaven. But it's a bigger picture than that. He didn't just command us, get right with God so you can go to heaven. He looked at it and said, oh, I'm gonna get, make you right with him so that I can make you right with others. I'm not just making you fit for heaven, I'm making you fit for a body, the body of Christ. And I'm gonna fit you in. So he gave everything he could to create this body. And it's interesting when you look at this body, and we call it a body because the apostle Paul that was one of his favorite analogies for the church. It made sense to him. Because he looked at his churches, it, he looked at his churches, he was blown away. He said, he, like he'd go to Corinth, or he'd go to the Roman church, he'd visit his churches and it just blew his mind. There were people that had just come out of paganism, worshiping idols and all of those kind of things. There were people who were Jews that had been under the, uh, the Mosaic law and were prim and proper and they wouldn't eat any of those things and they were hanging out and worshiping in the same church with all of these pagan Romans and Greeks and he saw poor people and rich people all in his church and they didn't, they didn't have their act together. I mean, the whole book of 2 Corinthians is like, you gotta love one another. You gotta get your act together and, and remember the commands of Christ. And so, it, but he, he was amazed at how God had drawn together these people uh, into a, an authentic community. 
And if we will take the word of God and filter all that we do through it, and we will study his word together, and we'll read those things like First and Second Corinthians, and we will let him correct us and challenge our jealousies and our envies and our angers. And we'll hear him say, you need to forgive your brothers and sisters. And you'll hear him say, you need to uh, put, uh, put others before yourself. And we, we challenge the way we naturally think. And then his spirit comes in and, and reforms and transforms our heart and then directs us towards one another and gives us kind of loving community. The apostle Paul just said, this is just, this is immeasurable grace from God. Jesus designed this community for three things. Ultimately, we know it's for the glory of God because the world sees it. Satan and all of his angels, fallen angels see it. All of it just glorifies God. But for you and me, it's not just a trip to heaven. It is, a, it is a, a body life, a life here in a community of faith. And look at what Jesus did. He designed this community of faith to love you. Designed it to love you. I just know personally, sometimes, you ever wonder if anybody really loves you? Is that just me? I'm not looking for pity. I'm just looking for somebody to say, well, yeah, maybe I sometimes feel that way too. You wonder if anybody loves you. He designed a community and empowered them, gave them the supernatural ability to love you and to love me. And you find that if you will persist. But they're not, the problem is they're not perfect people that are gonna be loving you. You're gonna turn around and love them back. But he designed a community to love you. First John talks about this. He says the identifying mark of a real Christian is their ability and willingness to love their brethren. Look at verse uh, seven of First John four. The same gospel. You know, John, I, I mentioned that he had three close friends, Peter, James, and John. Even among the three, there was one whom Jesus loved. Jesus, I, you know, I'm sure he loves you just as much as he loves John. He loves all equally, but he had a, his best friend. And John, you know what he talks about most? Love. Because when he got near Jesus, he was getting near the love of the universe. And he says, brethren, remember what he said. This is my commandment. Let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And you gotta just get out of your mind though the worldly concept of love which is never tell anybody they're wrong. The world's thing is, is the way we love you is we just encourage you to be as rebellious and sinful to God as you possibly can and we don't wanna get in your way. That's not, that's not the love he's talking about. It is this sacrificial, unconditional love for a brother or sister in Christ, an ability to love even an enemy the way Christ loved his enemies. 
and to lay down your life for a friend. That is the kind of love we're talking about. He says, this is what you're gonna see from people who have been born of God. Anyone who does not love God does not know God. So God, Jesus, uh, they designed a church, a church put people in it that have the capacity and the command to love you. I'm just trying to put out there a reason why we ought to belong to a body of Christ. Jesus also designed his church to complete you. Colossians says that I am complete in Christ. And let me just tell you what that means. In that context, it's talking about the fact that you need nothing other than faith in Christ to have eternal life. You, you don't have to have Jesus plus works, Jesus plus some sort of special event. Jesus alone makes you fit for heaven, right? I'm saved by grace through faith. Jesus alone, my faith in him is what helps me go to heaven. But then he turns around and he says, but on earth, I have designed you not to be self-sufficient. I've designed you to need your brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me just show you this real quick and then we'll, we'll tie this up. Listen to what Ephesians says, chapter four. He says, and he gave, who's he? Well, this is, this is God. When he created the church, he gave the church different people with different gifts. He gave them apostles, John, Paul, and all of those. And then he gave them prophets, people who would declare and preach the word of God. Then evangelists who would go out and spread the gospel and shepherds, pastors, and teachers. And then he he gave them to do what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. In other words, you are fit for heaven through faith in Christ. You are there, you're ready to go to heaven, but you are not fully equipped for your life of good works on this planet apart from the body of Christ, an interconnection with other people. I mean, you just, how many of you have heard of Tom Brady? Raise your hand. This is, this is full participation church. How many can tell me the name of his left guard? Anybody in here? Somebody might. Oh, we got one or two that can tell me the name of his left guard. Why? I bet you anything that Tom Brady, if he's a praying man, a believer, I bet he prays for his left guard before he starts a game. They're one of the highest, play, highest uh, uh, these offensive guys, that the guy, maybe I'm saying it wrong. I'll get corrected, don't worry. Uh, but the guy, if Tom Brady backs up like this, he's right-handed. The most important guy to him on the field is the guy protecting his back. And we don't know his name, but you better believe Tom Brady knows his name. Tom Brady needs every single player to fulfill their position if they're going to succeed. They're going to succeed. They need that kind of fellowship. They want that. In fact, 
Have we gone too far to show that video? Can I get a thumbs up if we can watch that video? I mentioned Tom Brady, but I saw this little video on the Eagles about the Philadelphia Eagles from November. And what's impressive about this little clip is it, it's not a church group that made it. It's the Philadelphia Eagles organization that saw a little bit of what I'm talking about happening on the Philadelphia Eagles. Let's watch this and then I'll close. A journey through faith can be very personal. It leads to deep introspection. Through this reflection, one can take a step back and discover their path. The end of the trail may lead to a common goal, but the beginning of the pilgrimage is a step of solitude. I went to Bible study, I went to church, you know, often growing up, but it wasn't until I was in my last year of college where I realized I was kind of living off of everyone else's salvation. Like, I wasn't really finding out things for my own. I wasn't diving into the Word or exploring that the way I explored everything else around me. So um, that's when I kind of realized that I was, I was kind of living the wrong way. Grew up going to church, um, got confirmed in the Lutheran Church, but I never really knew exactly what I believed or why. I remember just having some college mentors and uh, former teammates kind of just help walking me through the Word. You know, I, I ended up reading the whole New Testament of the Bible in the first three months of my uh, freshman year. It just became real to me. You know, for me, you know, I was kind of on this downward spiral because the things that I was trying to place in my life to give me satisfaction would last for a little bit and then they'd fade away. And um, that was my sophomore year in high school. I was really at a crossroads at that point um, and had to make a decision on, on where, where I was going. And that's when I gave my life to Christ and really he supplied that, that satisfaction and that joy for me. When their separate journeys led them to the NFL and the Philadelphia Eagles, they sought an outlet to come together and created a way to share their faith. Chapel for us here is that the NFL saying our Sundays are taken up. You can't go to church. So you had the opportunity to attend chapel, which is like a small church service. And we're able to get our word in. Um, every Monday night, we have a, a couples Bible study. We have a Thursday night team Bible study. And then Saturday nights, uh, we actually get together the night before the game and just kind of pray, talk through uh, the word, what guys have been reading, what they're struggling with, and just kind of keep it real with each other. To have that here in an NFL um, facility like this, it's, it's really special. From baptisms to sharing their faith in the community, they've grown together and challenged each other to be better, not only as teammates, but more importantly, as men. I think the biggest thing that we're always challenging each other with is just to not lose sight of the bigger picture. I think wins, losses, highs, lows, everything that comes with this game, um, it's so easy to take your mind and your eyes off of the ultimate prize, and that's living for the Lord. As men, we tend to be very sheltered. If I'm going through some things, I may not express that to the next man. And when you can expose your weaknesses and the things you want to work on, whether it's in your relationship or your, your marriage or your family, whatever it may be, when you're able to talk about it amongst your, your brothers, amongst your family, um, it helps you grow. And when you, when you realize that you, know, you can apply biblical principles to it, um, it helps us all grow. And we want to be united. You know, we want to support each other. We want to support each other in our lives, you know, through the difficulties of, you know, off the field, you know, as well as on the field. And so I think it's really kind of something to where, um, you know, we're all just kind of binding together to kind of keep each other, you know, sharpened and keep pushing forward. I love that. I love that they, the, the, the Eagles organization saw this group of, of men strangely getting together to encourage 
their faith. It wasn't about football. It was about their faith. Let me just, did you hear some of the words that jumped out? Let me, I, I, I wrote down some of the quotes. They said, we get together, pray, talk through the word. Well, that sounds a li- lot to me like church. Sounds a lot to me like a life group. See what guys have been reading and what they're struggling with and just kind of keep it real with each other. And to have the right here in an NFL facility, it's really special. One of the guys says, they have grown together and challenged each other to be better, not only as teammates, but more importantly as men, not to lose sight of the bigger picture. It's so easy to take your eyes off the ultimate prize, and that's knowing the Lord. When you are able to talk about it amongst your brothers and your family, it helps you grow. It's like I wrote that script for them. I'm hoping they win. But whoever wins, we know those guys are winners, right? Because they know their need. Jesus designed his church to love you. He designed his church to complete you. But he also designed his church to need you. He gave you something that the people around you need. And so with that in mind, I just encourage you to maybe begin to pray and, and think about how, what life would look like if you could take a next step. Some of you might be thinking, I need a church home. I just don't know what, it, what that entails. I don't know what being a member of a church is about. The whole thing is just kind of scary. This may be the first time you've ever walked into a church and, 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 and I may seem like a, uh, a salesman to you up here trying to get you to sign a contract. I hope you see that it came from Jesus. He died to create a place for you on earth and in heaven.